Now today we're looking at the lives of John and Charles Wesley, starting off with the conditions of England in the 18th century. The 18th century is one of the most remarkable periods in English history. During those hundred years, the country underwent an almost complete revolution in agriculture, industry and religion. Much of England was forest, swamp or wasteland. To travel after nightfall was extremely dangerous. Roads were almost non-existent. Narrow mud tracks were common. Before 1750, it took four days to travel up the 200 or so miles from London to Liverpool. The mail coach took 10 days in summer and 25 in winter for the same journey. But by 1780, those speeds had doubled. The added menace of the age, though, was a highwayman or robber. All these conditions put great restrictions on extended travel. Class distinction prevailed in 18th century England. On the bottom rung of the ladder were the working classes, the colliers, farm labourers, weavers, etc. Little boys of four or five years were hired for a few pounds to crawl through and clean sooty chimney flues. Five pence a day was paid to children for 18 hours work in the mines. Next on the scale was the commercial class. Shopkeepers, traders, life for these people was more pleasant, but taxes were heavy. This resulted in a gigantic smuggling trade along the coast. The upper classes, on the other hand, were an extravagant, wine-drinking, often immoral category who disdained the lower classes. Poverty and misery produced crime which was punishable by death. Public execution was a common event. Prisons were overcrowded, full of disease and squalor. Bedding was filthy straw. Food was unpleasant and scanty. Prisoners were heavily chained and fighting. Sickness and neglect prevailed. A poster hung outside many gin shops, announcing that their customers could be drunk for a penny and dead drunk for twopence with free straw provided in the cellar for bedding. All enthusiasm in the pulpits was banned, apart from the few God-fearing men who worked faithfully to please their master in heaven. There was a great lack of true spiritual power. Please do not disturb was the fitting epitaph over religion. There was no freshness in the past and no promise in the future. But God, in his providence, had a family whose influence was going to be used in the spiritual and moral transformation of 18th century England. It was the Wesley family. In the northwest of Lincolnshire, in England, lies the market town of Epworth. It was 17th of June, 1703 when the 15th of 19 children was born to Samuel and Susanna Wesley. He was called John Benjamin. Four and a half years later, his brother Charles was born on the 18th of December, 1707. Eight of their brothers and sisters died in infancy. Their father Samuel was one of a large family 
he became rector of Epworth Parish Church, and it was in the rectory there that the boys were born. Samuel was a loyal little man, loved his children, was clever and hard-working, but he could never keep out of debt. He married Miss Susanna Ansley, the 24th child of the influential Puritan minister, Dr Ansley. Life at the rectory ran like clockwork. Meals were three times a day with no eating between. Day school began at five years of age. The alphabet was learned on the first day. Then spelling and reading, beginning at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. No lesson was left until it was perfect. Susanna believed in conquering the child's will at the outset of life. She was their teacher of religion and education. On the night of the 9th of February, 1709, a devastating fire reduced the Epworth rectory to ashes. Six-year-old John was the last of the family to be rescued. As strong arms lifted him from a bedroom window to safety, the entire roof came crashing into the house. Mr Wesley cried out, Come, neighbours, let us kneel down. Let us give thanks to God. He has given me all my eight children. Let the house go. I'm rich enough. In later life, John referred to himself as a brand plucked out of the fire. In fact, he penned the words for his own tombstone, taken from Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. Here lieth the body of John Wesley, a brand plucked from the burning. When John was 17, he won a scholarship worth £40 per year to study at Christchurch, Oxford. After gaining his master's degree at the age of 22, he was ordained to the Anglican ministry. He began to set aside an hour or two every day for religious meditation. He guarded against all sin in word or deed and set his heart toward inward holiness. He was trying to satisfy God by obeying his law, but was aware of an inward war which hindered his highest desires. John Wesley's younger brother Charles entered Oxford in the year 1726. In his pursuit of God, he gathered a little group of like-minded students around him. Skeptics nicknamed them the Bible Moths and the Godly Club. Later on, because of the ordered fashion of their lives, they were called Methodists. And this title stuck, eventually giving the denomination its name. The next year, John had to leave Oxford to help his father in parish ministry. When he returned to Oxford in 1729, he became the leader of the Methodist group. They met each evening, did much to relieve the poor, the sick and those in prison. Some years later, John and Charles watched their father pass from this scene of time. To John, he said, The inward witness, son, the inward witness, this is the strongest proof of Christianity. Shortly after their father's death, John and Charles accepted an invitation to preach to the native Indians as well as to the settlers in the American colony of Georgia. Before setting out on this journey, John wrote, 
My chief motive is the hope of saving my own soul. Two years and four months later, he wrote in his diary, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? I left my native country to teach the Georgian Indians the nature of Christianity, but what have I learned myself in the meantime? Why? What I least of all suspected, that I, who went to America to convert others, was never myself converted to God. During the outward journey, a violent storm blew up. John was terrified. However, a group of German missionaries started singing. In the face of death, they were calm and unafraid. He was not ready to die. Shortly after landing on American soil, one of the leaders of the Moravians asked him, Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Noticing that Wesley did not know what to answer, he asked, Do you know Jesus Christ? Wesley replied, I know he is the saviour of the world, but, but do you know he has saved you? Wesley's reply was, I hope he has died to save me. Two years later, John Wesley returned to England, having lost the goodwill of the people of Georgia. Shortly after arriving home, he met a man called Peter Bower, who told him of his personal faith in Christ. Wesley reasoned, how could he preach to others if he had not faith himself? What can I preach? he asked Bower. Preach faith till you have it, came the reply, and then, because you have it, you will preach faith. Charles had returned to England 15 months before John. In May 1738, while suffering a pleurisy attack, he was reading Martin Luther's commentary on the Epistle to the Galatians. While reflecting on the words found in chapter 2, verse 20, He loved me and gave himself for me. He said, If only I could realise that me meant Charles Wesley. He laboured, waited and prayed to feel it. On Whit Sunday, May 21st, 1738, his prayer was answered. He wrote, I now find myself at peace with God and rejoiced in hope of loving Christ. I saw that by faith I stood. Everything seemed new. His physical strength returned and immediately he began to write, Where shall my wandering soul begin? How shall I all to heaven aspire? A slave redeemed from death and sin, a brand plucked from eternal fire. How shall I equal triumphs raise or sing my great deliverer's praise? This would be the first of 6,000 hymns. Now, Mildred is going to sing one of them for us. Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly, while the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high, hide me, O oh my Saviour, hide 
Make and keep me 